Section 18 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The World's Story, Volume 12. The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 18. The Huguenots in Florida, 1562 to 1565, by George Bancroft. Coligny had long desired to establish a refuge for the Huguenots and the Protestant French Empire in America. Disappointed in his French effort, by the apostasy and faithlessness of his agent, Villegagnon, he still persevered, moved alike by religious zeal and by a passion for the honor of France. The expedition which he now planned was entrusted to the command of John Ribot of Dieppe, a brave man of maritime experience and a firm Protestant, and was attended by some of the best of the young French nobility, as well as by veteran troops. The feeble Charles IX conceded an ample commission, and the squadron set sail for the shores of North America. Desiring to establish their plantation in a genial clime, land was first made in the latitude of St. Augustine. The fine river, which we call the St. John's, was discovered, and named the River of May. It is the St. Matthew of the Spaniards. The forests of mulberries were admired, and caterpillars readily mistaken for silkworms. The Cape received a French name. As the ships sailed along the coast, the numerous streams were called after the rivers of France, and America, for a while, had its Seine, its Loire, and its Garonne. In searching for the Jordan, or Combahy, they came upon Port Royal entrance, which seemed the outlet of a magnificent river. The greatest ships of France and the Argosies of Venice could ride securely in the deep water of the harbour. The site for a first settlement is apt to be injudiciously selected. The local advantages which favour the growth of large cities are revealed by time. It was perhaps on Lemon Island that a monumental stone engraved with the arms of France was proudly raised, and as the company looked round upon the immense oaks which were venerable from the growth of centuries, the profusion of wild fowls, the groves of pine, the flowers so fragrant that the whole air was perfumed, they already regarded the country as a province of their native land. Ribot determined to leave a colony. Twenty-six composed the whole party which was to keep possession of the continent. Fort Charles de Carolina, so called in honor of Charles the Ninth of France, first gave a name to the country, a century before it was occupied by the English. The name remained, though the early colony perished. Ribot and his ships arrived safely in France, but the fires of civil war had been kindled in all the provinces of the kingdom, and the promised reinforcements for Carolina were never levied. The situation of the French became precarious. The natives were friendly, but the soldiers themselves were insubordinate, and dissensions prevailed. The commandant at Carolina repressed the turbulent spirit with arbitrary cruelty, and lost his life in a mutiny which his ungovernable passion had provoked. The new commander succeeded in restoring order. But the love of his native land is a passion easily revived in the breast of a Frenchman, and the company resolved to embark in such a brigantine as they could themselves construct. Intoxicated with joy at the thought of returning home, they neglected to provide sufficient stores, and they were overtaken by famine at sea, with its attendant crimes. A small English bark at length boarded their vessel, and setting the most feeble on shore upon the coast of France, carried the rest to the Queen of England. Thus fell the first attempt of France in French Florida, 
near the southern confines of South Carolina. The country was still a desert. After the treacherous peace between Charles IX and the Huguenots, Coligny renewed his solicitations for the colonization of Florida. The king gave consent. Three ships were conceded for the service, and Laudonnier, who in the former voyage had been upon the American coast, a man of great intelligence, though a seaman rather than a soldier, was appointed to lead forth the colony. Emigrants readily appeared, for the climate of Florida was so celebrated that according to rumor the duration of human life was doubled under its genial influences, and men still dreamed of rich mines of gold in the interior. Coligny was desirous of obtaining accurate description of the country, and James Lemoine, called De Morgue, an ingenious painter, was commissioned to execute colored drawings of the objects which might engage his curiosity. A voyage of sixty days brought the fleet, by the way of the Canaries and the Antilles, to the shores of Florida. The harbour of Port Royal, rendered gloomy by recollections of misery, was avoided, and after searching the coast and discovering places which were so full of amenity that melancholy itself could not but change its humour as it gazed, the followers of Calvin planted themselves on the banks of the River May. They sang a psalm of thanksgiving, and gathered courage from acts of devotion. The fort now erected was also named Carolina. The result of this attempt to procure for France immense dominions at the south of our republic, through the agency of a Huguenot colony, has been very frequently narrated. In the history of human nature it forms a dark picture of vindictive bigotry. The French were hospitably welcomed by the natives. A monument bearing the arms of France was crowned with laurels, and its base encircled with baskets of corn. What need is there of minutely relating the simple manners of the red man, the dissensions of rival tribes, the largesses offered to the strangers to secure their protection of their alliance, the improvident prodigality with which careless soldiers wasted the supplies of food, the certain approach of scarcity, the gifts and the tribute levied from the Indians by entreaty, menace, or force? By degrees the confidence of the natives was exhausted. They had welcomed powerful guests who promised to become their benefactors and who now robbed their humble granaries. But the worst evil in the new settlement was the character of the emigrants. Though patriotism and religious enthusiasm had prompted the expedition, the inferior class of the colonists was a motley group of dissolute men. Mutinies were frequent. The men were mad with the passion for sudden wealth and the party, under the pretense of desiring to escape from famine, compelled Laudonniere to sign an order permitting their embarkation for New Spain. No sooner were they possessed of this apparent sanction of the chief than they equipped two vessels and began a career of piracy against the Spaniards. Thus the French were the aggressors in the first act of hostility in the New World, an act of crime and temerity which was soon avenged. The pirate vessel was taken, and most of the men disposed of as prisoners or slaves. A few escaped in a boat. These could find no shelter but at Fort Carolina, where Laudonniere sentenced the ringleaders to death. Meantime the scarcity became extreme, and the friendship of the natives was entirely forfeited by unprofitable severity. March was gone, and there were no supplies from France. April passed away, and the expected recruits had not arrived. May came, but it brought nothing to sustain the hopes of the exiles. It was resolved to return to Europe in such miserable brigantines as despair could construct. 
Just then Sir John Hawkins, the slave merchant, arrived from the West Indies. He came fresh from the sales of a cargo of Africans, whom he had kidnapped with signal ruthlessness, and he now displayed the most generous sympathy, not only furnishing a liberal supply of provisions, but relinquishing a vessel from his own fleet. Preparations were continued. The colony was on the point of embarking when sails were descried. Rimbaud had arrived to assume the command, bringing with him supplies of every kind, emigrants with their families, garden seeds, implements of husbandry, and the various kinds of domestic animals. The French, now wild with joy, seemed about to acquire a home, and Calvinism to become fixed in the inviting regions of Florida. But Spain had never relinquished her claim to that territory, where, if she had not planted colonies, she had buried many hundreds of her bravest sons. Should the proud Philip II abandon a part of his dominions to France? Should he suffer his commercial monopoly to be endangered by a rival settlement in the vicinity of the West Indies? Should the bigoted Romanist permit the heresy of Calvinism to be planted in the neighborhood of his Catholic provinces? There had appeared at the Spanish court a bold commander, well fitted for acts of reckless hostility. Pedro Menéndez de Aviles had, in a long career of military service, become accustomed to scenes of blood, and his natural ferocity had been confirmed by his course of life. Often, as a naval officer, encountering pirates, he had become inured to acts of prompt and unsparing vengeance. He had acquired wealth in Spanish America, which was no school of benevolence, and his conduct there had provoked an inquiry which, after a long arrest, ended in his conviction. The nature of his offences is not apparent. The justice of the sentence is confirmed, for the king, who knew him well, esteemed his bravery, and received him again into his service, remitted only a moiety of his fine. The heir of Menendez had been shipwrecked among the Bermudas. The father desired to return and search among the islands for tidings of his only son. Philip II suggested the conquest and colonization of Florida, and a compact was soon framed and confirmed by which Menendez, who desired an opportunity to retrieve his honor, was constituted the hereditary governor of a territory of almost unlimited extent. The terms of the compact were curious. Menendez, on his part, promised, at his own cost, in the following May, to invade Florida with at least five hundred men, to complete its conquest within three years, to explore its currents and channels, the dangers of its coasts and the depths of its havens, to establish a colony of at least five hundred persons, of whom one hundred should be married men, to introduce at least twelve ecclesiastics, besides four Jesuits. It was further stipulated that he should transport to his province all kinds of domestic animals. The bigoted Philip II had no scruples respecting slavery. Menendez contracted to import into Florida five hundred negro slaves. The sugar-cane was to become a staple of the country. The king, in return, promised the adventurer various commercial immunities, the office of governor for life, with the right of naming his son-in-law as his successor, an estate of twenty-five square leagues in the immediate vicinity of the settlement, a salary of two thousand ducats, chargeable on the revenues of the province, and the fifteenth part of all royal perquisites. Meantime news arrived, as the French writers assert through the treachery of the court of France, that the Huguenots had made a plantation in Florida, and that Ribot was preparing to set sail with reinforcements. 
the cry was raised that the heretics must be extirpated the enthusiasm of fanaticism was kindled and menendez readily obtained all the forces which he required more than twenty-five hundred persons soldiers sailors priests jesuits married men with their families labourers and mechanics and with the exception of three hundred soldiers all at the cost of menendez engaged in the invasion after delays occasioned by a storm the expedition set sail and the trade winds soon bore them rapidly across the atlantic a tempest scattered the fleet on its passage it was with only one-third part of his forces that menendez arrived at the harbour of st john in puerto rico but he esteemed celerity the secret of success and refusing to await the arrival of the rest of the squadron he sailed for florida it had ever been his design to explore the coast to select a favourable site for a fort or a settlement and after the construction of fortifications to attack the french it was on the day which the customs of rome have consecrated to the memory of one of the most eloquent sons of africa and one of the most venerated of the fathers of the church that he came in sight of florida for four days he sailed along the coast uncertain where the french were established on the fifth day he landed and gathered from the indians accounts of the huguenots at the same time he discovered a fine haven and beautiful river and remembering the saint on whose day he came upon the coast he gave to the harbour and to the stream the name of saint augustine sailing then to the north he discovered a portion of the french fleet and observed the nature of the road where they were anchored the french demanded his name and objects i am menendez of spain replied he sent with strict orders from my king to give it and behead all the protestants in these regions the frenchman who is a catholic i will spare every heretic shall die the french fleet unprepared for action cut its cables the spaniards for some time continued an ineffectual chase it was at the hour of vespers on the evening preceding the festival of the nativity of mary that the spaniards returned to the harbour of st augustine at noonday of the festival itself the governor went on shore to take possession of the continent in the name of his king the bigoted philip the second was proclaimed monarch of all north america the solemn mass of our lady was performed and the foundation of st augustine was immediately laid it is by more than forty years the oldest town in the united states houses in it are yet standing which are said to have been built many years before virginia was colonized by the french it was debated whether they should improve their fortifications and await the approach of the spaniards or proceed to sea and attack their enemy against the advice of his officers ribaud resolved upon the latter cause hardly had he left the harbour for the open sea before there arose a fearful storm which continued till october and wrecked every ship of the french fleet on the florida coast the vessels were dashed against the rocks about fifty leagues south of fort carolina most of the men escaped with their lives the spanish ship also suffered but not so severely and the troops of st augustine were entirely safe they knew that the french settlement was left in a defenceless state with a fanatical indifference to toil menendez led his men through the lakes and marshes and forests that divided the st augustine from the st john's and with a furious onset surprised the weak garrison who had looked only towards the sea for the approach of danger after a short contest the spaniards were masters of the fort a scene of carnage ensued 
Soldiers, women, children, the aged, the sick, were alike massacred. The Spanish account asserts that Menendez ordered women and young children to be spared, yet not till after the havoc had long been raging. Nearly two hundred persons were killed. A few escaped into the woods, among them Laudonniere, Chalut, and Lemoine, who have related the horrors of the scene. But whither should they fly? Death met them in the woods, and the heavens, the earth, the sea, and man all seemed conspired against them. Should they surrender, appealing to the sympathy of their conquerors? Let us, said Chalut, trust in the mercy of God, rather than of these men. A few gave themselves up, and were immediately murdered. The others, after the severest sufferings, found their way to the seaside, and were received on board two small French vessels which had remained in the harbour. The Spaniards, angry that any should have escaped, insulted the corpses of the dead with wanton barbarity. The victory had been gained on the festival of St. Matthew, and hence the Spanish name of the River May. After the carnage was completed, mass was said, a cross was raised, and the site for a church selected on ground still smoking with the blood of a peaceful colony. So willingly is the human mind the dupe of its prejudices, so easily can fanaticism connect acts of savage ferocity with the rights of a merciful religion. The shipwrecked men were, in their turn, soon discovered. They were in a state of helpless weakness, wasted by their fatigues at sea, half-famished, destitute of water and of food. Should they surrender to the Spaniards? Menendez invited them to rely on his compassion. The French capitulated and were received among the Spaniards in such successive divisions as a boat could at once ferry across the intervening river. As the captives stepped upon the bank which their enemies occupied, their hands were tied behind them, and in this way they were driven to the slaughterhouse. As they approached the fort, a signal was given, and amidst the sound of trumpets and drums, the Spaniards fell upon the unhappy men who had confided in their humanity and who could offer no resistance. A few Catholics were spared, some mechanics were reserved as slaves, the rest were massacred. Quote, not as Frenchmen, but as Lutherans. End quote. The whole number of the victims of bigotry here and at the fort is said by the French to have been about nine hundred. The Spanish accounts diminish the number of the slain, but not the atrocity of the deed. Menendez returned to Spain impoverished but triumphant. The French government heard of the outrage with apathy and made not even a remonstrance on the ruin of a colony which, if it had been protected, would have given to its country a flourishing empire in the south, before England had planted a single spot on the new continent. History has been more faithful, and has assisted humanity by giving to the crime of Menendez an infamous notoriety. The first town in the United States sprang from the unrelenting bigotry of the Spanish king. We admire the rapid growth of our larger cities, the sudden transformation of portions of the wilderness into blooming states. St. Augustine presents a stronger contrast in its transition from the bigoted policy of Philip II to the American principles of religious liberty. Its origin should be carefully remembered, for it is a fixed point from which to measure the liberal influence of time, the progress of modern civilization, the victories of the American mind in its contests for the interests of humanity. The Huguenots and the French nation did not share the indifference of the court. Dominique de Gourges, 
a bold soldier of Gascony, whose life had been a series of adventures, now employed in the army against Spain, now a prisoner and a galley slave among the Spaniards, taken by the Turks with the vessel in which he rode, and redeemed by the commander of the Knights of Malta, burned with a desire to avenge his own wrongs and the honour of his country. The sale of his property and the contributions of his friends furnished the means of equipping three ships, in which, with one hundred and fifty men, he embarked for Florida, not to found a colony, but only to destroy and revenge. He surprised two forts near the mouth of the San Mateo, and, as terror magnified the number of his followers, the consternation of the Spaniards enabled him to gain possession of the larger establishment near the spot which the French colony had occupied. Too weak to maintain his position, he, in May 1565, hastily weighed anchor for Europe, having first hanged his prisoners upon the trees, and placed over them the inscription, I do not this as unto Spaniards or mariners, but as unto traitors, robbers, and murderers. The natives who had been ill-treated both by the Spaniards and the French enjoyed the consolation of seeing their enemies butcher one another. The attack of the fiery Gascon was but a passing storm. France disavowed the expedition and relinquished all pretensions to Florida. Spain grasped at it as a portion of her dominions, and if discovery could confer a right, her claim was founded in justice. Cuba now formed the centre of her West Indian possessions, and everything around it was included within her empire. Sovereignty was asserted, not only over the archipelagos within the tropics, but over the whole continent round the inner seas. From the remotest southeastern cape of the Caribbean, along the whole shore, to the cape of Florida, and beyond it, all was hers. The Gulf of Mexico lay embosomed within her territories. End of section 18. This recording is in the public domain.